This is the On The Radar Show with your host Radar as he highlights the sports topic of the week and while also diving into pop culture. This is On The Radar with your host Radar, that's me coming at you with episode number 13. As always, national local sports topics and pop culture. Let's start with football, the sport that everybody in the country loves. The Titans, they upset the Patriots. They upset the Ravens. Now, guess what? They could not upset the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes had three touchdown passes and a rushing touchdown. So did Damon Williams, okay? Now, Tannehill had a good game having two touchdowns, and Derrick Henry got his usual, but it's it wasn't the same. They got up, they got up 17-7, and then... They couldn't keep going. The goal of the Titans is we'll run the ball, keep running it, waste the clock, put up a couple of points, and try to hold you back. But the Chiefs are not the team that you want to hold back against because they can score in small bursts. They were down by so much the previous week that they just scored so much very quickly as well. So that's the thing. So as good as Derrick Henry has been this season, if you just put up just a small amount of points, you're not going to win the game because the Chiefs just put up so many points and they could just – Easily defeat you. Now, in the other game, the 49ers had a huge lead, okay? They were up like 27 nothing, And Green Bay, you know, they're like, okay, fine. Rodgers threw two touchdown passes. And Aaron Jones had a rushing touchdown as well and caught one of those t- passing touchdowns. They each got the two. But Rodgers, man, when he threw two interceptions and he fumbled the ball away three times... It doesn't help when you're down by by so much in the first half that you have to come back from all the mistakes that you made. So all the mistakes you made basically cancel out the touchdowns that everybody got. And the, story, the hero of the game was not Jimmy Garoppolo. It was Rasheem Morissette, who had 220 yards and four touchdowns by rushing touchdowns. They just ran you into the ground. The previous game, Tevin Coleman went off. This week, this guy went off. You never know. Maybe in the Super Bowl, if it's not Tevin Coleman or Morissette, and it's Matt Breida or it's their fullback or it be Kittle catching like three or four touchdown passes or Emmanuel Sanders. They got all these weapons to come at you, and their defense come at you. That's how they got the interceptions, and they got the forced fumbles as well. Now, early, early predictions because the Super Bowl is not this upcoming Sunday. It's the following Sunday. This weekend is Pro Bowl weekend and NHL All-Star Game, which is weird because NHL All-Star Game used to be Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. But the last couple of years, they've moved the skills competition to Friday night and the All-Star Game to Saturday night. Now, it used to be like in the afternoon and the Pro Bowl was on a night, and they were competing somewhat overlapping. They decided the last couple of years, let's not compete with the Pro Bowl, even though nobody really gives a damn about the Pro Bowl. It's more just people just like watching football no matter what it is. So this week's the Pro Bowl and the NHL All-Star Game and skills competition – and the NFL started a skills thing a couple years ago. So there's no Super Bowl this week. So early predictions are, I just feel like Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the league. His team could put up so many points. So if the 49ers think they're just going to run the ball like the Titans did and chew up the clock, they're gonna Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have to step up because Mahomes is going to have a great game. He's got all the skill players to throw the ball to, receivers, tight ends. Damian Williams has been great for them as well. And they have another Williams, and they also have LaShawn McCoy back with them, back under Andy Reid. And I really trust Andy Reid, yes? He lost the Super Bowl when he's with the Eagles. And Shanahan lost him when he's an offensive coordinator with the Falcons. But I'm going to go with experience and also go with the team that has an unstoppable offense. The only way the 49ers will win the Super Bowl is if their defense completely 
shuts down Patrick Mahomes and everything the offense does. And Garoppolo is a good game. I don't really have confidence in Garoppolo having amazing games. I have more confidence in Patrick Mahomes having a good game. Because their defense has been okay. They got a couple good players. But overall, if the 49ers get rolling offensively, their defense is amazing. Now, Bears knew they hired John T. Filippo last week to be the quarterback's coach because of all the shuffling back and forth with this coach is here, this guy's the offensive assistant, whatever it is. The problem with D. Filippo, I don't trust him. He was the Jacksonville offensive coordinator just for one season because they wanted to replicate the magic with Nick Foles. It didn't really work because he got hurt and was not that great when he came back. He's been the Vikings offensive coordinator, and they haven't been that amazing. He's been coaches for offense for the Jets, the Browns, and the Raiders. Does that really excite you to go, wow, he's coached for Jacksonville, Cleveland, the Jets, the Raiders, and even the Vikings, who are not known for their offense? I really am encouraged by let's hire him and Laser, who is the Bengals coach. Like, that combination is not going to help. What's only going to help is that Matt Nagy learns how to tailor system to Trubisky, or they draft or sign a quarterback or trade for one that will push Trubisky in camp. Now, in baseball news, the Giants make no sense. They go, uh, acquire Zach Kozar's contract to pick up a prospect from the Angels. Then what they do is they pick up another player from the Angels off waivers and they cut Zach Kozar. Then they just go ahead and go, you know what, we're going to go also cut that guy and pick up a new person. Now the Red Sox say Sam Davis, Sam Travis, I mean, to the Rangers. It's good for the Rangers. They don't have a guaranteed first baseman, so Sam Travis can get an opportunity there. The Braves went out and signed Solarte. And Chris Rusin and King Felix, some minor league deals. Rusin could be a good relief pitcher if you need it. And Solarte could be a good bench player if needed because they don't have an everyday third baseman, even though Austin Riley played well last year. And they re-signed Daniel Sharia to major league deals, so that will help out their actual bench because they're not sure about Culberson's health. Now, them signing King Felix will be interesting because if my rotation is Soroka and Freed, and you mix a Cole Hamels in there, Mike Fultonevich, and then you have Felix as the fifth guy. You're not expecting to be the, the leader he was, the number one guy in Seattle. Good move. Other moves is the Jays just had room to how to Joe Panic, Ryan Dolan, Caleb Joseph, my deal. They have a log jam in the infield, so it's not really going to help Joe Panic. And they have a log jam at catcher, so that's not going to help Caleb Joseph making the major leagues. And their bullpen has been churning guys over and over, so Dole has a good chance. Tejada, like Panic, not going to have a good chance to make the team. Now, the White Sox, they signed Andrew Romine, the brother of Austin Romine. Utility player. They signed Brian Mitchell, former Yankee starter with the Padres charged as a starter. It wasn't really good. He's better as a reliever. So Romine's not going to make the team. The Sox are pretty good in the infield right now. But Mitchell has a good chance to make the bullpen. Then they signed Skull to re-sign him to Miley Deal. They signed Jacob Brugman and Drew Anderson. I'm not really... Ooh, those guys are not that exciting. Now, the... Uh, and they just also signed this Alberto Mejita guy who has been cut by like the Twins and the Angels and the Giants. All these teams. And the Sox rotation is good. So the only way he can make the team is a reliever. Now, the Giants, they went and signed Drew Smiley and Jerry Blevins and Rob Brantley. You know, so that's a pretty good amount of guys to sign. Smiley could be a good back-end starter. Blevins could be a good reliever. They're not sure exactly who's a backup catcher. Rob Brantley will help them as well. The Cubs went and signed Tyler Olson. They got Casey Sadler in a trade. They got Travis Lankins in a trade. So they're just trying to figure out. Oh, a lot of our free agents were relievers. So we'll try a Tyler Olson, a Casey Sadler, and a Travis Lankins. And then they go and sign Josh Fegley to minor league deal. Now, if Contreras gets hurt again, they won't have to worry about trading for a catcher because Fegley has been a starter before. The Rangers signed Nicasio to minor league deal. Pretty good move. When healthy, he's a good reliever. Cardinals re-signed Matt Wieters. They really need a uh, backup catcher because he was their backup catcher. The Phillies signed Bud Norris. And they also signed Drew Storen to my league deal. The hope is 
Bud Norris and Stone healthy enough to affect their bullpen because they just need some veterans in the bullpen. The Mets re-signed Rene Rivera to a backup catcher deal. They, you know, they always need that. And then the Braves signing Ozuna because they didn't get Donaldson or Rendon. They'll probably go to Austin Riley at third base, and if they're smart, they'll play a coon every day in right field and Ozuna in left field and have a system where some days of the week Marquecas plays the outfield and some days Antioncearte plays the outfield. That's the only way you're going to get the best out of your outfield. In Cubs news, besides from those reliever moves, Carlos Zambrano, former Cubs, early decided to end his comeback bid. He was pitching as a reliever for the Chicago, you know, dogs, the independent team. And he said, yeah, it's all said and done. I'm not a, I'm not going to continue to try. And as being some major league players actually retiring, Carlos Gomez decided to retire. He's in his 30s. He could still help a team as a fourth outfielder or fifth outfielder in the National League or pinch hitter. But he decided to retire. Now, as I made a mistake last week, I thought the Hall of Fame inductions for baseball were going to be today on a Wednesday, and I was going to miss them while I was recording the podcast. But I misread the calendar, and they're actually over last night. And everybody knew that Derek Jeter was going to get in. He had a 99.7%. They said it was only one voter that didn't vote him in, and I don't understand that. Griffey didn't get in. All these all-time greats didn't get in. I don't know who that person was. He was the only clean hitter who had an open and shut case. 3,000 hits. I don't care about anything else. He's in. Larry Walker just got in with 76.6, just above the 75% mark. And Larry Walker's another guy who I argued with, argued about and debated with the past couple of weeks. Now, his numbers speak for themselves. The regular metrics, the old school numbers, and the advanced metrics. It's just like, so I'm glad he got in the Hall of Fame, and he's probably going to go in as a Rocky, the first Rocky ever, because that's where he had his best years. And Kurt Schilling, I'm so upset that he didn't get in because he just got 70. He, he missed it by five points. Not Kurt Schilling. Deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Hopefully next year there aren't any obvious guys who are first ballot Hall of Famers like a Derek Jeter or any holdovers like Larry Walker. They go, this guy should be in. Then hopefully Kurt Schilling will be one of the guys to get in. Now the steroid users, Bonds and Clemens, 61 and 60.7. Hopefully they stay in the 60 percentage for next year and the following year and then so on and they're out. And they have to do the Rafael Primer by McGuire where there could be a veterans committee when somebody looks at it. Did Omar Vizquel? Encouraging, they got 52.6. He just needs to go up a couple, you know, percents every couple of years. Hopefully he can get to 75. Roland got 35.3 and Wagner got 31.7. It's okay. Roland's the guy who you look at and you got to look at the, it closely to make a decision on him. He's more of, you got to look at where he lines up all time in third baseman, combine all of his things together. That he's a very comparable player to Ron Santo. Ron Santo got into the events committee, but everybody knew. That when he was on the ballot, when it was 15 years, should have got in in one of the 15 years. It took him way too long. Now, Billy Wagner, because contemporaries like John Franco were taken off the ballot completely and didn't get in, and it took Trevor Hoffman a couple of years, and it took other relievers as well, then there was no obvious way that Wagner is going to get in right away. He's going to have to wait. But hopefully he gets in. Now, Gary Sheffield, a steroid user, got 30.5. I'm hoping that he just continues to slide. And Todd Helton got 29. If Larry Walker is now voting in the Hall of Fame and they talk about the dumb cores effect, then hopefully the you know if Todd Elton stays around the 30% for the next couple of years, he can bounce up to 40, maybe 50% as you get closer towards the end. Because he's a he's an all-time great. Yes, Pujols and Bagwell ouch, you know, were over got shadowed by them, but he's still a Hall of Famer. Manny, another steroid user, he got 28.2. The reason why he's not in the 30s or even where Bonds and Clemens is, because his numbers are amazing, is because he failed two tests towards the end of his career. Jeff Kent is right below him at 27.5. Again, how could Jeff Kent not be in the Hall of Fame? He's got, he's got Roger Hornsby numbers, and his defense is not as bad as you think. 
as I did, talked about before. And Andrew Jones got 19.4. He's another guy where you're going to look at him and go, huh, he's a pretty good player for the first half of his career. Great defensive player. And he'd probably be a veterans committee guy, but he's still least staying on the ballot. Now, Sosa got like 13.9. His numbers keep dropping because we know his Hall of Fame career is based all off of steroids. As a norm hitter, Andy Pettit took steroids. His numbers aren't that great. So that's why he's sitting 11.3. Now, I'm happy that Abreu got 5.5 because Bobby Abreu is, if you look at all the numbers, advanced statistics, old school statistics, like a Larry Walker, he was one of the best all-around players of his generation. Now, he got enough to stay on there. Unfortunately, Canerco got 10 votes, so he only got 2.5, and Giambi got 6. So he, so he got only 1.5%. And Soriano got 1.5, so for 6 votes. Now, the thing about Jami is he admitted he took steroids. We all know that he took steroids. So his whole career is, is going to be, I took steroids. So he's not a Hall of Famer. Canerco, the, comparable to Orlando Cepeda and Jeff Bagwell and William McCovey and some other first basemen that are in the Hall of Fame. So I was hoping that Canerco may stay on the ballot for, I don't know, two to five or six years. He just hangs on there with just more than 5%, maybe 10%. And... You can examine it as you get closer to his end date on the ballot. But because the ballot has been so crowded, where there was, year, there was a year where they voted in zero. There was a year they voted in one. Then there's been some years they just vote maybe two. The year they voted in zero and voted in one, if they had voted in two to three each of those years, then the ballot would have been as cluttered. Guys like Larry Walker and Kurt Schilling would have probably already been voted in. And you'd be talking about how guys like Viscale and Rowan and Wagner and Helton are getting closer to Jeff Kent. Because of that crowded ballot, it's not going to really help anybody involved on there. And Toriano, you just look at it closely, you look at the hits, the home runs, the RBI stolen bases, you're like, wow, this guy was a pretty good player. But you have to be willing to look at the statistics, and he only got six votes. He's another guy, if you compare him to other Hall of Famers, he's pretty darn close. Now, Eric Chavez got two votes, and so did, and so did like Cliff Lee. I mean, Cliff Lee got five votes, so he just got under the thing. Cliff Lee got like five votes, and, like, Travis got, like, two votes, so it's like, come on. Cliffley was good for a short period of time and not going to give a Hall of Fame vote when there are other guys that deserve the vote. Same thing with their Chavez. And guys like Adam Dunn, Brad Penny, and Bonnie's got one vote. Adam Dunn, we all know this. He retired early. If he didn't retire early, he'd been clearly a home run hitter for the 500 home runs in the home run club. And Abanias was just a good player. And Brad Penny, and I don't understand that. He was... On one of those what ifs. He never could stay healthy, never looked at his potential. But yeah, let's waste a vote on him. But yeah, that's the Hall of Fame. I'm just hoping that next year, Kurt Schilling, he gets in, and that guys like Omar Vizcale and Scott Rowland, they go from their jumps. Rowland and Wagner, who are in the 30s, go up to maybe 40%, and Vizcale goes from the 50% to the 60, maybe even 70. That's the hope, because if nobody's a first ballot Hall of Famer on the next year's list, and you've got questions about how many people really want to vote Clemens and Bonds in the Hall of Fame, then that will hopefully happen as well. Now, when it comes to pop culture, the uh, crossovers just happened, and this thing is very confusing, okay? Because in the history of the Arrowverse, Green Arrow and Flash and Legends usually take place all in the same city, Star City, you know, or Central City. They're all in the same universe. But when they introduced Supergirl because they came from CBS, they decided to introduce it as a alternate Earth. You know, they can call that... 38, you know, or 38, whatever you want to call it as well. And then they created Black Lightning, and they didn't want to keep it in the same world. So that is another world. They just don't give you a number. And then you have the Batwoman show that takes place in just the regular 
you know, Earth, you know, as well. So that is confusing. Then you had, like, them using Earth-74s, Mick Rory and the Wave Rider. And you got Earth-18 for Lazarus Pith to bring Oliver back to life because they said he was going to die. They just didn't do it in the first episode. Sorry for the spoilers. They did it in the first episode, not, you know, at the end final battle. And they went to Lucifer's world. They decided to, you know, do that to show Lucifer because they were showing the actor who was in the Batman movie. They're showing Burt Ward in a movie. They did the whole Smallville and Lois Lane thing with Superman. They did a King to Come Superman that's similar to Superman Returns that Brandon Routh played as well. He's on there. Then they had, you know, 90s Flash and in part of the crossover working with Black Lightning, Vibe, and Killer Frost and the regular Flash. Oliver died and got, took on the Mantra Spectre. If you ever read uh, Identity Crisis, you know, Infinite, Infinite Crisis and The Darkest Night and Brightest Day, how they end the world and they start off the new stuff, that Hal Jordan becomes the Spectre. Now, there is no Green Lantern in the show, but they teased it at the end when they built new... When the, in, the, in the end, so Oliver became the Spectre. And this thing, Lila, who's in charge of Argus, becomes... Harb, Harb, Harbor, you know, Harbinger, who uh, works for the Monitor, controlled by the Anti-Monitor, and Nash Wells, another version of Harrison Wells, he becomes pariah because he lets loose Anti-Monitor. So that's different things there. Now, the thing is they decided to the, the the Paragons of Hope. So Supergirl's Hope is the Paragons of, you know, the help people. So she's Hope. Now, if you read the comics, that's Flash because he gets a blue lantern ring, if you remember. Now, they did... White Canary has destiny because Spinner Destiny that she thought he thought everybody thought she died on the boat. Everybody thought she died when Merlin got her killed. Then she was brought back to life because they wanted to start off the Legends of Tomorrow, which is how they started off the first crossover. So with Vandal Savage and the Hawks, you're recruiting the team, and then you got the Truth, which is Superman. The, you know the Paragon of Truth. You know that's Brandon Roth. You know from one of the Earths. You know ninety six whatever. Then they had Courage, which is Batwoman, but we all thought it was Kevin Conroy's old-school Batman that he finally got to portray in Earth-99, where he killed Superman. And they went to Smallville and other worlds to look for Supermans to help them. And Love was Flash, because they got to keep harboring back to, she loves Iris. They can't do a scene or a show without Iris. Like, she, she's going out and, like, you know, convincing people to join the team when they went to try to convince the next Adam Choi to become the you know, you know the, the paragon of humanity. Like, yeah, he goes, and are you superheroes? And she, she's not a superhero, but obviously Ralph is. So it's like, silly, this. And Honor was Martian Manager John, and that makes sense. But also, because he and Supergirl, and Superman would be from that world, and White Canary, and Batwoman, and Flash, and Troy, they just come from the regular things. They needed to have everybody from all the shows. Now, they do show that the Doom Patrol and the Titans show... And Superman Returns world, and then they have uh, Star Girls world, and then they got a Green Lantern world, and they had a Swamp Thing world because that was in the show that they brought back. But basically, the Anti Monitor destroyed the universe, and Prize and all the Paragons of Hope, the Paragons, just saved the Earth, and they had to figure out how to do it. And of course, one of the worst things about this was Lex Luthor, even though his sister was trying to help save people, he decided that he was going to kill. He could take the Book of Destiny, and he was going to kill all the Supermans from all the timelines, and then rewrite history and make him a paragon of, of you know, of, you know, hope instead, I mean, of truth instead, and um, 
that's one thing. He kept derailing the thing, derailing him when they're trying to stop the monitor from causing the thing from happening, gave himself powers, all this thing. Like, I know it's cool to have Lex Luthor play, you know, the anti-hero and then use his smarts to save the day, but it kept taking away from the episode because the like, episode one and two were kind of boring building up to it. Episode three starting to get better. Four and five are really good. But it's like, stop having Lex Luthor, like, ruin everything and actually just tell this story without having to involve him as well. Because it's not a huge fan of John Carter's portrayal to begin with, but that's another thing. So they, you know, Oliver Spector, he gets all of them together, and they defeat him. They think, they just, you know, Oliver gave up his life again to start off a new Earth, and then everything was all on the same Earth. And things were changed. They brought back uh, Sarah Diggle and uh, Lila's son, who, you know, Flash changed in the timeline. They gave Superman two kids instead of one. And then it opened up more parallel Earths. Now, the thing that's confusing is I haven't watched this week's Black Lightning or any of the superhero shows, but in the trailer, they show Black Lightning saying, yeah, I visited another parallel Earth, and everybody was erased, and I helped them save the day, and then I got erased, and then they brought me back, and I uh, was helping everybody, and now I'm a member of like the Justice League and stuff like that. But it's saying that he went to another universe when supposedly there's only supposed to be one Earth now because Supergirl and all the people that are involved in Supergirl, they're on the same Earth. All the people from Arrow, Legends, and Flash, and Batwoman, they're all on the same Earth. And supposedly Black Lightning is because at the end of the episode, they have those chairs with everybody's insignia on there. They have Superman as well. So you got Superman, Supergirl, Martian Manhunter, then you have White Canary, and then you have, obviously, the chair not seated on Arrow for Ollie. And then you got Flash, and you got Black Lightning. So that's the thing. Now... They have a tribute to Oliver. I think what they should do is put a tribute to everybody else in that Hall of Justice. So anybody who died in Arrow, let's say, like, the original Laurel, she should get a tribute in there. The original Firestorm from Legends, Snart should even get one. Things like that. Like, you gotta have people that are honored in that as well. And the, uh, nobody in Batwoman or Black Lightning has to go in there yet. And Flash... Uh, Wally hasn't died, he's just not in the show, but you could put Ronnie Raymond in there and, you know, other characters if you wanted to as well. That would be cool for that quote-unquote Hall of Justice they're going to have. Now, it was a very confusing one. I don't know if they're going to do more crossovers because if Oliver's dead and Arrow's done, is it going to be Flash, Batwoman, Supergirl, and only do three? Or Superman and Lois have a show next fall. That would be show number four, and then episode five would be Legends again. Because it was cool that John Constantine was in the crossover because he helped Oliver, but they basically had to show Sarah's girlfriend and they showed Ray because Ray was in there. He was doing stuff, building the Paragon detector, things like that. He was also portraying Superman, but it was a very short period of time. They uh, then they then in the final episode he was helping them build another machine as well with the other Adam and, and you know all the people. You know it wasn't Lex Luthor in episode five because he was supposedly getting a Nobel Peace Prize, which is weird. The user and then Nate was barely in the episode as well, and I don't know how this season's gonna go because I tore it to shreds last week. But if they're going to continue what they did at the end of the fi- last season, dealing with John's mistake in hell and coming back to haunt him, that's a good way to do it. If they completely decide, eh, we're gonna screw what we did in the end of the season and just move on, and they continue to have these bad characters in the show, I don't understand it. Now, in terms of new shows that just were on the air that I've, re- wrote, I've started to write reviews on, The Fox's new show, it's the first one on Deputy. It has three episodes so far. Stephen Dorff, you know, from True Detective and Star. He plays a sh- deputy who 
doesn't always follow the rules. His goal is to take down the bad guy no matter what happens. He doesn't care how he does it, if he causes property damage, whatever it is, as long as he takes down the bad guy. And because of some old law from Civil War where it's like the oldest, you know, deputy, I mean, the longest tenure deputy becomes the sheriff. The sheriff, you know, is incapitated. He has a heart attack, then he eventually dies. And there's like a bureaucratic, you know, board of deputies in a way to say it, where they're guys who are actual deputies, but they're like pencil pushers. They do like, you know, grunt, you know, like grunt work in terms of doing bills and like legislative stuff and like just paperwork they're not actually out there in the field but they're on the board and they're in charge of all the other deputies and stuff and they work with the sheriff to make policy and stuff and some of them are voted in then there's like law officials and like other people lawmakers and politicians all the stuff that's on there of how they you know they uh come up with rules and stuff and he's not used to that stuff but he becomes sheriff but he's still going out there in all these raids and all these stakeouts trying to take down bad guys you know, follow up leads, when he's, and he's trying to balance between, I got to do the bureaucratic, you know, paperwork stuff, go to meetings, be at graduations for people, like, you know, talk to things, do all these things, but then also figure out a balance of how he, how much he has to go in the field, because he's got to let his deputies actually do their job. Now, one of the people he used to work with, they show him a lot of the episodes, and he's going out there on missions, and so far, like, in the episodes, they show his partner get injured, she, she quits and does desk work, and then Another character who's a training officer who's in a couple episodes, he dies. And it's like, okay, fine. You eventually kill off two characters, and now you're going to try to figure out who's in the show. So the goal is he's trying to figure out how he can balance being a sheriff but also still doing what he likes to do as a deputy going out there in the fields because he doesn't like all that, that follow the rules, you know, you know, brown nosing, all that stuff. He doesn't really want to do that. But what he finds out is he has to. If he wants to change the system because all the people who are sitting in their iron pallets, these affected, these elected, you know, politicians, lawyers, and even some of the deputies who were elected to be on this board, they haven't been out on the field in, I don't know, 10, 20 years. They don't really know what's out there. They don't know what the people really need, how to connect with community, and things like that. And if he wants to change the system from within while he's deputy, while he's the sheriff, because it's not a permanent thing, because it's just, you have to be voted in to be the sheriff in the show, he's there for like, a, I don't know, 100 days, and he has to uh, try to, in that time, fix the system with him. And But figure out how he's going to balance it because his wife it makes it so silly that every time a member of his team gets injured or he gets injured his wife's the head trauma surgeon at the hospital they all go to and she's tired of seeing him in the thing his bosses are tired of him going out there and blowing off meetings and he's any signs of personal like a bodyguard driver all these things and he's not used to that he likes to go on his own do whatever he wants but he's got to realize that person that's supposed to watch his back and make sure he goes to meetings, is there to make the system go. And she feels like, yeah, this guy really wants to change the system, so I got to push him to go to the meetings and do all the bureaucratic stuff, you know, brown nose and, like, kiss people's feet and just like, okay, this, but then if he wants to go on the field, I'll go with him, make sure he's okay and whatnot. And the great actress doing it. This Beck's person, you know, is a very good actress, and she was on Arrow where she's introduced as uh, as uh, – Somebody that was working with Sarah Lance from Bat, you know, where she was white. Before she was white canary, she was black canary, and she was fighting bad guys who were in fact attacking women. And he had base operations, and Bex was working with her and things like that. And then she and uh, Roy became close friends, and she was working with you know Oliver and Team Arrow for a bit. And um, it's another thing that was really good. Now she played the character, you know, Sin in the show now. She in real life is lesbian, so that's cool. I'm not a problem with that. 
but they purposely made the sh- character of this of her being married to somebody already, being lesbian and stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. And they have shown her, you know, her her, her wife, fiance, whatever. They have said they show the deputy's husband, the deputy's wife a lot. They show his daughter. And then another wrinkle is his former partner died, and uh, his son, it became the deputy's, this, you know, Stephen Dorff's character, Billy, godson, and he's up for the academy. And of course, his the widower go, the widow goes, I don't want you to him to be in the thing. You got to fire him. But then, like, he did something really great. He protected somebody, and he's going to stuff, and he's like, I can't fire you. I wanted to, but yes, yeah, so we got his godson in the force. His wife is a head trauma surgeon. He got his own daughter. Then. They make the his security person, you know, Bex, you know, from Arrow, be his personal thing. It's like she'd been working at the deputy's office for I don't know a couple of years or so, and she pulls as a background in the Pentagon. And I'm like, you know, this this woman looks around my age, like between the age of 25 and 30, and on the younger side of that. So I, it's hard to believe that she worked in the Pentagon, unless when she graduated college and at age 21 she started working in the Pentagon until like age 23 or 24 and decided, yeah, I'm gonna take a steady job working with the deputy and stuff. And the hope is Fox will let this straightforward procedural. It's not a highfalutin drama, action show, or police show. It's just straightforward. And many shows have been about L.A. cops, you know, and law enforcement things. You got Chips. You got NCIS is in L.A. MacGyver's based in L.A., Columbo. There's been so many cop, detective, law enforcement, you know, government agency shows that it's interesting. How many shows are about Sheriff? You know, the, you know Marshall Dillon, his character from Gunsmoke, and you got yourself a, the Andy Griffith Show, which is a sitcom, okay? It's a sitcom. It makes fun of like a small town where you got the sheriff and you got the deputy and things like that. And Marshall Dillon is what you would call, which is what you'd call a Western, okay? So that's the thing. So Marshall Dillon is a character from Gunsmoke, and that's a Western. So if it's a Western from a long time ago or a sitcom, there are really that many shows about specifically how deputies in a city or sheriff's work because I didn't know how the LA County Sheriff's Department worked like I've seen shows like SWAT and some other shows where if it's a small rural part of the city or the town they got to deal with the local law enforcement or the sheriffs in that area so it's a very interesting thing to see how the sheriff works and if this if Stephen Dorff's character can change this from within get the balance that he wants with the help of his personal you know with the person that's supposed to watch him his assistant and, and all the other things so hopefully Fox doesn't cancel it there's too many NCISs and Law and Orders and Chicago shows. It'd be nice if there was another show that's like fresh ideas, fresh new ideas. Even if nothing straight for, stripped from the headline, just something cool that would be very nice for the uh, Fox to have because they've gone downhill the last couple of years with good programming. So thanks for listening to On the Radar episode number 13. And uh, hopefully you guys are listening to my podcast as well. And they're, my older podcast, they have, they're on Spotify Podcasts, they're on Google Podcasts, and, and, and the original site, Anchor. And my blogs is all on Radar442 at a blogger. It's a, the Facebook page on the Radar Entertainment blog. I'm on Twitter. I'm on YouTube. And I just uh, uploaded the Dodgers after doing the Giants, which is super difficult because of all the players in the history. Dodgers a little bit easier, and my next goal is to work on the National League East, starting off with the Expos because they're no longer a team, and then the Marlins have been around that long before I work my way into the Mets, the Phillies, and the Braves. And to keep an eye out for all my album reviews that are on there, I, I reviewed the Heavy's new album, ELO's new album, the Who's new album, 
I'm about to do the Coldplay's album review and eventually James Blunt's new album review. Plus, I'm going to do more television reviews that are the written ones, and you'll hear more about it the next time, hopefully, about FBI Most Wanted and Lincoln Ryan the Hunt for like the Bone Collector as well. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. This was the On the Radar show with Radar. For more from him, check out his Facebook page, On the Radar Entertainment Blog. His long-form articles are radar4428.blogspot.com. His YouTube account, On the Radar. Follow him on the Twitter at Radar4428 and download his podcasts from Apple Podcasts under On the Radar.